George, you're not in your home. Not in my home, no. I'm on foreign no. soil. Oh dear, where are you? I'm in uh, Groningen, as the Dutch would pronounce it. In the Netherlands, not Holland, the Netherlands. Well, not Holland. Holland when I was growing up, we called it Holland. It used like, to be the seven, what was it, the seven kingdoms of, kingdoms of Holland back in the day, which was an entirely different country, I believe. I'm glad. I should, that, know, better. I should know better, but uh, yeah, if you call it if you call it Holland here, it's a bit of a sin. So the Netherlands. I'm glad that you. Uh, I'm glad that in your year over there, you brushed up on your history. That's that's impressive. I like I that. Know. I do have a history degree as well, so there's two things I'm at fault for. All right, mate. No, no, it's a bit early to be showing off, isn't it? Good grief. I have my uh, my masters now as well. I've got my nice certificate on on Thursday. Your boy's official. <laughs> so that's why you're over there, is it? To sign off to make sure that you are officially a master of journalism. That's it, yeah. Now I can uh now I'm legitimated in the NCG team. <laughs> you go to all that expense and living a year abroad to get a master's in journalism uh just to spend your Monday mornings chatting nonsense on here. Chatting nonsense with with you guys, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. That's what this has all led to. Been off for the last couple of weeks. I enjoyed the pod while I was away. So thank Did you, you for, thank you for stepping up. I had well, I had a long drive to and from Cornwall, so I enjoyed the first one on the way there and the second one on the way back. That Very was good. good. How was it listening in about your hosting duties? Well, it's just not the same, is it? No, I've I've been hearing that I've been hearing other stuff from our fans. How you heard the ratings have gone? Have am I going to get hounded? Am I going to get hounded out on my own podcast? Might be that way. I'm I'm just I'm just repeating what I've heard. You know, it would actually. It would know. actually. It would it would free up some time on a Monday morning, which would be nice. You love the pod on a Monday morning. So yeah, how was how was your trip away? I saw you played a lot of golf. I did play a lot of golf. I got round for people that don't know. I grew up in Devon and Cornwall, right on the border. And I just well, it was my fortieth birthday, so I went home to celebrate. Didn't celebrate you be saying friends. that? I know. I think I look younger than I did two weeks ago. No, so went home, some friends. Got got a little house down in Cornwall and just played a load of golf and drank more beer than we should have drank. Uh, I finally got around to playing some golf courses that I've been desperate to play for years. Uh, and Yelverton is one of them. Um, for those that don't know, Yelverton is a, a a beautiful moorland track on on Dartmoor near Tavistock. And it's it, it's it's I mean I mean I grew up like twenty minutes away. And it's just one of those golf courses that for years I've said, oh, next time I'm, I say it to my friends all the time, next time I'm done, we're going to play Yelverton because we just haven't played it. And then finally got around to playing it. And I, I think I've played roughly 200 golf courses in my life. And I would say that's straight into my top five. Really? I absolutely loved it. I loved every single minute of it. It just, the views across Dartmoor are spectacular. I mean, obviously there's a bit of nostalgia there. I lived there until I was uh, 21 uh, so there's nostalgia involved, but just those views and those vistas across Dartmoor. You've got the ponies and the cows and the sheep just trawling around. <laughs> I, saw that, I absolutely yeah. love. <clears throat> it's just, it's just, it's everything that golf should be, and it's, it's just glorious. And I loved every minute of it. And when uh, I'm eventually allowed to move home back to Devon, I think I'll be uh, handing over my my wages. Wow, to look at That's, him. He's 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 I've already, I've already, jo- I've already retired and joined Yelverton in my brain. So yeah, I can tell. That means you must have played well as well, though. No one comes away with such a, a fond golf experience <laughs> if they also did. I didn't, I, uh, I didn't actually. Just a, a standard mid eighties round, but I didn't play particularly okay, badly. Okay. But I didn't play particularly well. I, we also played. Um, so it used to be Lost With You, which is now called Gilly Flower. I need to look into it a little bit more, so I don't want to talk too much about it. I'll, I'll write about it, and people can read about it on the website. But it's. I believe it's owned by the people that run the Eden project, which is obviously this great big eco project. So they weren't allowed to, I think they wanted to take the golf course away, but they weren't allowed to or something like that. But they've done a really cool job. So they've, it's, it's a nine holes with 18 tees, but the, the way they've done it is quite good. So the, the tee, like usually when you go somewhere like that, the tees are right next to each other. The holes aren't perhaps that different, but they've made it really different. So there's, I think there's actually one that's a par five the first time round, and then the par, a par three the second time round, just how they do it. Yeah, but it's yeah. very, very cleverly done. Very fun golf course. And you you, you drop, there's, there's, the second hole is this ludicrous par three where you just drop down over the edge of a cliff, basically. 
um and it's the the train track right runs right off the back of the green with the with the old um great western railway pummeling through down to penzance every few minutes it is it, it was just spectacular um absolutely middle of nowhere you're sort of looking at it it's one of those ones where you look at it on a map and you think oh it's only a few miles off the a30 and then 20 minutes later you're like how are we not there yet but yeah no i should give those a shout out because um they both let me go and play their golf courses for free so to give them a little give them a little plug that's that's yelverton and gilly flower <laughs> so someone, someone right. needs to get back don't they <laughs> right come on let's talk about some golf Right, welcome to the NCG podcast. I've been told I have to put the, the the request to subscribe and like us on social media right at the start because otherwise really? people just other well apparently people just switch off as soon as they start hearing that they just switch off. So so please don't switch off, but subscribe and like on your whatever platform you listen on. And I was going to say that doesn't mean they they switch off now. No, follow us on social media. George is doing a tremendous job with our social media and it's a lot of fun. So follow us over there as well. So. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're you're listening. That's the beauty of a podcast. That was so partridge. That was so partridge. Unbelievable. Do you even know what who Alan Partridge is? I do know who Alan Partridge is. How do you know? Well, Partridge is a bit 90s. I know he's still doing that show on BBC, but he's a bit 90s, more of a bright 90s reference. Like, yeah. I can't imagine many people your age coming up and like discovering him from his new... Yeah, you'd be surprised. I a lot of my friends are like weirdly obsessed with Partridge to the point that it's actually annoying but uh yeah he's he's somewhat of a cult hero i think with all ages and uh you know, my dad well educated me on on partridge and the likes of him so but yeah it was partridge so i don't know what, what it that was, was all about yeah but anyway right uh, we'll get please we'll get to, please let's talk about some tour golf we'll get we'll get to the president's cup in a bit because we've got a special guest to join us on that bit Ooh. he's dialing in later um, so let's start on the DP World Tour. We had the Kazoo Open de France at the Ryder Cup venue Le Golf National. Cause, so first of all, I'm pretty sure it's called, it's pronounced Kazoo, Kazoo. It's, a, it's an online, it's an online car retailer, isn't it? But well, they sponsor everything right now. I know they, they're everywhere. Everything. They come they've out nowhere. Got, they sponsor. I think they, the, the company's only about four years old, and they sponsor about half of the European Tour season. They they got their, their names on the England cricket shirts if I'm right. Got about four Premier League teams. Is it Aston, yeah, they, Aston Villa? They certainly have. Yeah, there's uh, have, Everton. Do you know what? I'm going to look it up because I see that I see this. But you're right. Have they not? There was the there was the Kazoo Open, wasn't there? Was there the Kazoo Challenge? The Kazoo Classic. The Kazoo Classic. Classic that's yeah. it. And now there's the Kazoo French Open, or was it Open Open de France? They're sorry, taken so, over. Sorry, so I'm just on the Kazoo Wikipedia page. I reckon. 75% of this Wikipedia page is the sponsorship. So Aston Villa and then horse racing, the Derby, the Oaks, Coronation Cup at Epsom, St. Ledger Stakes, World Snooker Tour has World Grand Prix, Players Championship, Tour Championship, UK Championship, Masters, uh, blah, 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 taking over the main World Championship sponsor from Betfred, um, PGA European you, Tour. They've you know what's next, don't you? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Welsh Rugby Union team. England cricket team, the hundred. We've got and then darts. So you've got European t- Championship, World Cup of Darts, Grand Slam. Sponsorships extended into a few more tournaments. And now also in football, they've got Olympic Marseille, Valencia, Freiburg, Lille, Bologna, what? and Real Sociedad. How have they got this much money? What is it? Isn't it? Do you buy a car and it delivers it to you? Or if I got that completely wrong? I think so. I think yeah, it's, second, it's, it's, it's second-hand car. Really. Well, they obviously take a decent commission by the judging on it. Anyway, oh, clearly, let's, yeah. let's let's move away from Kazoo. What what a ludicrous tangent. Well, that. what I was going to say is they, <laughs> the only thing they're missing is a is a live team. I can see it now. The Kazoo Crushers. <laughs> the Kazoo Crushers. I like that. <laughs> well, no, you probably can't have Crushers because that's um, the the connotations of crushing and a car. It's a car company, so probably wouldn't be the. Yeah, I could see him getting a piece of the piece of the pie when we get the sponsors in so okay right so like i said we'll get to the president's cup later but on the dp world tour with kazoo open at, at 
um, the Golf National. Guido Migliosi won. Wonderful win. Um, if you haven't, I know you have, but if, if anyone listening hasn't seen his shot into 18 to, to win the tournament, because he won by one, essentially, didn't he? Absolutely stunning shot. shot. Um, it was just yeah. unbelievable. That was when he hit hit the ball and the camera just focused on his oh, face. Oh, behind it, it, it was amazing. Was it was seeing it. Like I, I love those satisfying shots. I mean, you always see them on like TikTok and Instagram, where it's like someone hitting a stinger from like behind, and you get the camera. But you never actually see it uh, in actual golf, do you? Like on the TV, and it was like you could just see the ball flight just turning <laughs> left to right. It was like satisfying content alert um satisfying yeah what shot. content alert we should have a little sting for satisfying content. But i was so worried i thought he was going to miss the part and i was like this has been because everyone was going crazy when he hit the shot um and everyone knew essentially if he hit the part he was going to go on to win and then i was like oh if he misses the part now this is going to be such an anti-climax well they have that but yeah the best example of that is uh phil mickelson at the masters isn't it that shot from the, the from the pine straw and everyone even all these years later everyone wangs on about it still but he missed the putt he missed the putt yeah there's no point in hitting that kind of shot if you're then not going to make the putt is there but I think the the best bit for me about being sort of 12 12 and a half months or whatever we are now from the from the Ryder Cup in fact it's it is 12 months it's it's one year this week isn't it it'll be be one year from this from this week so we're a year out from the Ryder Cup now and the best bit about that is that when players like Miliozzi start winning you start thinking right the Ryder Cup team is probably starting to take shape now. Obviously, Miliozzi is in Italian. The Ryder Cup's in Italy. Uh, are you seeing him there qualified? Or if not, are you taking him as one of the six picks? Possibly. I mean, like I say, the, those six picks are going to be very open. I mean, we spoke about it last week. But there's so many young... I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? What the, the qualifying started, what, two weeks ago? And already it's like suddenly they're all starting to emerge, all these guys. I mean, the Hoygaard twins are up there again. Last week we had Bob McIntyre. We got Perez in there. I mean, I'd like to see Guido in there if he can. I mean, it's all about form, isn't it? And it's all about it's so early to start having this conversation and think, oh, yeah, I'd like to see him there. or I'd like to see this guy. But it's one of those Ryder Cups. I think I just I think you want to see young blood, don't you? You want to see new guys come in because it is it is, of course, we're going to be there to win. But it's as much sort of a, a building block Ryder Cup, isn't it? And get some guys in and get some some new experience so uh who knows who those six will be but he's certainly going to be on the cards now isn't he and that's his what third win now on the dp world tour i might go as far as saying that he's going to do a what what thomas peters did at the 2016 Ryder cup and go there and earn four points out of five and yeah. just be this new cult Ryder cup hero machine and really really that prediction was largely so i could segue nicely to to thomas peters because we had uh, easily the, the most bizarre and controversial incident of the week involved uh, Thomas Peters. And as it was a rules drama, as we like to call them, I think it probably makes sense to dial in our rules Uh-oh. of golf expert, Steve Carroll, who you will have heard on the From the Clubhouse podcast if you listen to that. So let's get Steve in. Here we go. See, this is where we need a jingle. This would be the perfect opportunity. We need a Steve jingle, don't we? We do need a Steve jingle. Here comes Steve with his rules of golf book. Although he'd also hate that, but then that would also make him more rolled up. So He would hate it. He would absolutely hate he that. He would hate it. I need to, um, hang on a second. I just need to, here we go. Alex Perry versus Microsoft Teams. Oh, here we go. Request to join. Just where we eagerly await then. I've worked in digital media my entire professional career. Ah, here we go. Here, we here it is. Hello, Steve. We very briefly just we 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 just started talking about the Thomas Peters incident over the weekend, which I'm sure you saw. We well, I hope you saw because you're about to talk about it. It was obviously quite controversial for those that haven't seen it. So, George, just correct me if I'm wrong, but he started to he started to hit his putt, and someone coughed in a gallery. He tried to stop. He couldn't stop. He tapped his ball forward three feet for what was a forty odd foot putt. And then exactly he called that, in. Yeah. The, he called in the referee, and he explained the situation. He said, "I tried to pull out of it, and I couldn't." And the referee allowed him to replace it and take it again. Have I got that right? First, have well, I? Is that, that's now I know. So now it's come out that there was two referees involved, and one contradicted the other. Which Steve, I'm sure you can probably elaborate on more. Um, yeah, let's 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 throw this over to Steve because because he's the expert. He's I'm sure he's been mm-hmm. studying it all weekend. <laughs> There has been some study. Obviously, I wasn't there. So George is right. The reports are that there were two referees involved. The first referee advised Peters that 
he'd made a stroke and it would count. Mm. Um, player then asked for a second opinion from another official who told him he could replace the ball on its original spot and put again, which he did. He then two-putted for par. So there, there are a number of things here. I mean, firstly, referee's decision is final, usually. Referee doesn't have to allow a player's request for a second opinion. Um, but having refed a few tournaments myself, often if you get something that you're slightly unsure about, even if you then, you know, make a ruling, players allowed to ask a second request, and a second opinion, sorry. And usually what happens is, you know, as a referee, you'll just get on the radio and basically say, look, what do you think about this? So I think what's happened here is when the second referees come in and Peters has explained that he's trying to pull out of the stroke and hadn't intended to hit the ball, I think the second referees then gone to rule 13.1D. Shall I start citing rule numbers? Get in your book, get in your book. Rule 13.1D says there's no penalty for accidentally causing a ball to move. Um, The player must replace the ball on its original spot. So no penalty if the player accidentally moves the player's ball, the player must replace the ball in its original spot. And and that's what I think the second referee has done here. So in terms of the spirit of the game, that's really just if you're taking a practice stroke and you just maybe clip the ball, your ball is is down on the green and you're taking a practice stroke and you clip it with maybe the top of your putter and that's when you can replace it. This this feels to me, and this is where the, the controversy comes in, this feels like a completely different kind of incident because he was actually mid-stroke. So, I mean, if I'm going from memory, the easiest way to think about this rule is the Dustin Johnson rule, you know, the US Open in yeah. 2016, where he was taking a practice stroke and he accidentally feathered the ball. And at the time, he, if my memory serves, he suffered a penalty for that. <clears throat> and a lot of people thought that, that was unfair. And there was a local rule that came in not too distantly afterwards, which was then um, placed into the rules of golf. I, I think I'm right there. I'm sure listeners will tell me if I'm wrong. And and, and, that's, and that generally is what this covers. You know, if you sort of having a practice stroke and you just get a bit heavy handed and twang the ball and it moves a few inches to the right, you know, the idea is that, oh, well, you haven't intended to make a stroke. You've accidentally caused the ball to move, no penalty. Um, so the issue here is that, I think the answer to this question is not in the rules of golf. It's actually in the it's actually in the definitions and the definition of stroke. Um, so interpretation. If, well, if you don't mind me going through this um, definition, a stroke is defined as the forward movement of the club made to strike the ball. That's what the rules say. A player can decide during the downswing not to strike the ball, and if they do that it would not be a stroke but for that to happen they actually have to avoid hitting the ball either by deliberately stopping this club edge before it reaches it or if they can't do that in time by deliberately missing the ball so the point here is that i think is that peters isn't making a practice stroke he isn't preparing to make a stroke he is making a stroke he can't stop the club head in time he can't miss the ball and therefore it's a stroke and given that the stroke then counts he should have played the ball from where it lies from the position he came to rest and he should have had a 30 odd footer for a par but does this does this come down to the second referee who said that it does this come down to just peters's word from him saying look i didn't mean to hit it is that is that sufficient enough for the ref to say okay or was it a case of he watched the replay back and was like oh look he's clearly tried to pull out or is it do you know what i mean because then any, I think that's what a lot of people were getting a problem with, was they were like, well, the referee's just going on what Peter's told him, which was, look, I've, I've not meant to hit the ball. And then a lot of people were saying, oh, well, in which case, I could just do that every time I hit a bad shot. You know what I mean? Like, or every time I miss hit a putt. And, and that's why I think you need clarity. And, and that's why you got clarity afterwards, because I think that that was, um, certainly for club golfers, that was a possibility. I mean, how do you improve? How do you prove whether someone yeah. intended or not to hit the ball? Um, but that this is where I think the definition of stroke is an interesting one because it says stops the club head before it reaches the ball, or if unable to stop by deliberately missing the ball. So he doesn't. Neither of those things. He tries to, but the club head hits the ball. 
and therefore it's it, it's a stroke. There are a couple of other things around this, which you can read about in a piece I'm writing for nationalclubgolf.com. Little plug there. Lovely plug. Um, I know, I know. So there are a couple of things. Uh, people might say, but he replaced it and he put it again. Doesn't that mean he played from a wrong place? Why wasn't he not then penalised? Um, I think this is why. I mean, people often say, oh, this is such an easy ruling. Like, why is he calling a referee in for this? This is precisely why they call in a referee for every cough and spit. It's basically an insurance policy. The referee has inadvertently made a wrong ruling. The player isn't going to get sanctioned for that because it's the referee and not the player. There's a little section that if you if you read some of the reports on this, um, they talk about some RNA guidance about what to do in this specific instance. If you've got a copy of the official guide to the rules of golf in section 6C that covers providing rules assistance to players, there's a section that actually very neatly covers this. And I'm going to read it out if that's all right. It states that where a referee in stroke play incorrectly advises a player that his or her stroke does not count and to play again without penalty, the ruling stands and the player's score with the replayed stroke is the player's score for the whole. Very neatly sums that up, doesn't it? So, Steve, as you mentioned, you've done a lot of, well, you've you've started refereeing at club level. Now, in the tournaments that you referee and you don't have the uh, privilege of being able to see thousands of replays from several different angles. So if if this incident happened in a, in a tournament you were refereeing, you would, of course, you'd be called to the green and you would have to take the player's word for it. Well, yeah, but but, you know, within the context of the rules of golf. So, I mean, the, I think the definition of stroke neatly covers it, actually, and and doesn't allow a huge amount of room for manoeuvre when you think about that process of actually striking the ball. I think that in that situation, I'd almost certainly get on the radio as well and, and you know, radio into the team. I'd have a fair idea of what the ruling is. What, what we're often told when we're refereeing is don't jump in. If, you, if, if you're unsure about anything at all, like anything at all, get some advice. Because once you've, once you've made that ruling, once you've given that ruling, the game moves on, you know, yeah. whether it's correct or incorrect. Um, so I, there's a, I'm, I, I've been told on the way to rulings, you know, just count to 10, just have a think. There, yeah. There's like a refereeing, people often say refereeing is like 99% bored and 1% panic um, because a lot of the time you sit there and you do nothing for a long, long time. You might hunt for the odd ball and then a player will call you in and it's like, what, what do they want? Am I going to be able to answer the question? And we do carry rule books around, but there's nothing wrong with asking for a second opinion. And yeah. that's often what and they do it at the highest levels as well. Um, it's just in this particular case. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know how it all went down. I, you know, I can only read reports. I can only see the footage. Um, but the other thing I would say is every referee on the planet has made mistakes. Um, I've done it. I'll continue to do it. You try not to do it. You do everything in your power not to do it, but you know we're human. I am really interested because obviously I've known you the whole entire time. You've been learning to become a referee. Is that the right phrase? And I am fascinated by your journey into it. And, and I know that I annoy you with with questions, so I'm going to ask you one on the podcast. I know normally it's just like in the office or whatever. It's just one percent um, panic. <laughs> yeah, this is your one, but it's like being a goalkeeper, isn't it? Like you, you might have nothing to do for an entire game and then suddenly you've got to make a save in the 97th minute. So no, so so if you had an incident like this, let's just say a player in a tournament you're refereeing has done exactly what Thomas Peters did and you go over, they, they've called for you to come over. The player who's hit the part, the, the Thomas Peters of this incident, as it were, has said, I tried to pull out of it. I hit the ball, blah, blah, blah. And then his playing partner's going, dude, you you clearly were playing the stroke and you hit the ball. How how would you deal with that situation? Am I the only referee or have I got a team at HQ? Oh, go on then. You're the, you're the only referee. It's all on you. I mean, you've just got to, you've just got to, pe- people think that um, referees know every rule and subsection. They don't. But what they do generally know is where to find it in the rule book. So I think in this case, you would be looking, I mean, it's it's natural actually, I think, to 
to have a look in the rule numbers and have a look at around rule 13. But um, I was very lucky. Um, my sort of mentor when I was starting out with the rules was John Paramore. He was extremely helpful to me. And one of the first things he told me was the rules of golf start in the definitions. Um, and it's only through understanding the definitions that you can then get onto the rules of golf. And I think I said this a little bit earlier. People do this a bit lopsided. Um, they look for the rule number. They look for the rule and then they say, right, well, this is this is the answer. And, and the problem is that sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the answer is actually in the definitions, which is in this case. So I'd like to think that I would look at the definition of stroke and then that would lead me on to the answer. But I mean, like this is obscure. Right? This is an obscure question. Right. Um, it, the answer to it when we explain it sounds fairly simple. But in the moment, when you're called to a situation like that, you know, it's very easy, I think, to, to think, well, like, what do I do? Which is why they tell you to count to 10 and things like that. So I'd, li I'd, I'd like to hope that I would get to the definition of stroke, which would help me with it. But I, I also I'm pretty sure that if I'd be confronted with that situation, there would there would be some panic because <laughs> it's it's unusual. And, and the fact is, you know, I've been I've been looking at rules groups on Facebook and all over all over the weekend and people have different views upon this. People are saying, well, you know, did he make the forward movement intending to strike the ball? At what point did he decide that he didn't want to make a stroke? In his tweet, he talks about hearing the cough on the backswing. I've heard I've seen people on the rules um, sites looking at a, an exception to rule 9.4 which talks about accidental movement on the putting green and says that there's no penalty when a player accidentally causes the ball to move on the putting green no matter how that happens and people have said well that's that applies to this situation as well well it applies to penalties i think rather than this situation but do you see what i mean, I mean like you can never in a 200 page rule book and a 500 page <clears throat> official guide you can never get every single cough and spit of the rules in there. There are always going to be some things that are open to interpretation. I think if you if you talk to old rules officials, you know, old rules officials, sorry, guys, veterans, people who've been around for a while, they'll tell you that they missed the old decisions book. Um, now, that's before my time, but the decisions book was basically like if a question had been asked of the RNA and the USGA about something that happened on a golf course and they had ruled on it, it was in this book and it was a thousand pages long. So, I mean, I mean clearly, like it was it was getting too big, but they lament the passing of that rule book because questions like this would be in there. You know, the answer to it would be in there. You can't put all of these things in 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 the official guide because the whole point is it's not. Encyclopedia Britannica, but that does mean that occasionally you're going to have interpretations in decisions. Well, I'm sure everyone can agree it's it's incredibly well, it's incredibly nerdy, but it's incredibly fascinating as well. And sure. we continue to appreciate your your knowledge on the subject. If you do have an interest in the rules of golf, then Steve writes regular columns on nationalclubgolfer.com just go to the website and then click on rules of golf and you can actually follow his journey of being a referee there as well so steve really appreciate you coming on so thank you for that listen I, i'm just hoping i've got my interpretation of this right <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's still a little bit of panic alex i may have got it wrong as well but i, I don't think i have i hope i haven't Right, George, let's let's move on to the President's Cup. Now, I'm very pleased to say we've got Sam Harrop on the line. Now, if you don't know Sam, you're obviously not on Twitter. Sam, I'm going to give you, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, you've obviously had a, a hectic couple of weeks. Um, so I'm just going to let you introduce yourself and explain why you are golf Twitter famous and why why we all love you so much. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can't answer why you love me so much, but I mean, I can do the rest. <laughs> so, I guess so. It must be what is it now? Like two and a half years ago, uh, I did a. I, I decided to do a song uh, about Tony Finau and the fact that he, you know, he was struggling to get his uh, second win. You know, several years after winning the Puerto Rico Open, and he was, you know, I don't know, pretty high up in the world rankings, but just, just couldn't get, just couldn't get over the line again. So I did a song. Back then, called When Will Tony Fino Win Again, a parody song. And um, yeah, it just sort of blew up completely unexpectedly. And um, 
so then I, you know, I started doing more of these songs about golfers and and kind of golf related topics. And I just kind of it gained, for whatever reason, it gained traction, and um, and I just sort of I've kept doing them ever since, really, as a kind of you know, it's a little sideline or hobby, I guess. Uh, and that's, you know, it's now leading to sort of some pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy gigs. So, yeah. So your, your, your day job is in music, is it? Yeah. So I work my, my day job, I work for a sheet music publisher. Um, so I've kind of, you know, always been in, in music and stuff, but yeah, I just decided to combine my kind of two passions, I guess, of music and golf. Did you think at any point when, I mean, obviously you, you said there you did the Tony Fino one and then you did a couple more and, and, and people people even started giving requests, haven't they? And like, did you ever think at any point this was going to blow up the way it has? No, definitely not. No, I mean, when I first put out that song, I thought, oh, you know, maybe a few people on Twitter might might enjoy it, you know, get a laugh, laugh out of it. Uh, and I, you know, didn't really, exp- you know, as far as I was concerned, that might have been the only one I would ever do um so no there was no expectation at all and you know when people you know were started asking for more songs and I started doing more and more you know there came a point I suppose where I was like okay well maybe maybe there is a demand for this kind of thing but it's still at that point I was like well you know well you know is that actually going to lead lead to anything other than you know a few likes and 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 comments so so anything beyond that is a is a bonus and and a surprise really when I, sp- when I spoke to George last night, I said, oh, I've got um, Sam Harrell coming on. And he went, he sort of went, who? And I went, you know, the piano guy from Twitter. And he went, oh, right, I love that guy. <laughs> I'm sure you probably get that a lot, that sort of response. Like, who? And then, oh, yeah, that's, that's that guy. It's, it does happen. It does happen, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I happened, you know, last week when I was at the President's Cup in the media centre and um, and people would, you know, I'd go up to people who I, I sort of know from from Twitter, you know. And I go up and I say, "Oh, hi, it's really cool to meet you." And they look at me blankly, and then they look down at my, uh, they look down at my pass, and then they say, "Oh, yeah, you're the piano guy." <laughs> so I did, I did get you that. Need to, you need to approach people side on with your hands out. <laughs> <as if you're laughs> then they go, "Oh, yeah." That's it. That's how people only recognise the right hand side of my face when I'm. Sort of, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you just you just mentioned the the president's cut up, and obviously I was, I was before I even knew you were coming on. I was I'd, I was seeing because um, I saw you were in Charlotte to begin with, and I was like, oh, he's made it to the President's Cup. Like, wow, it's amazing. And I was sort of following your your journey there throughout the week. Um, how did that come about? Because it seemed like such an amazing opportunity. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one, really. So I about a year ago, um, I, I had a little conversation with uh, Trevor Immelman, and uh, and he said to me, he said, look, I'd love for you to do a song about you know, the international team, he's, he's followed me for a while on, on Twitter and he sort of likes a few of the songs I do and stuff. So he said, you know, I'd love for you to do a song about, you know, my international team. So he's very much about, you know, he really wants to kind of amplify them as a kind of, as a unit. And he was trying to do everything he could in his power to kind of augment the whole, the whole thing. So, um, that was one of his ways to do that. So I said to him, yeah, sure. Um, absolutely. I said, yeah, if there's any way that I can, you know, come out to Charlotte, you know, maybe I can do it live in the team room or, you know, or something like that, um, just to make it, you know, just so I can get a cool experience out of it as well, you know, um, then that'll be awesome. And, and he said, look, it's, it's going to be tricky, but, you know, how, you know, why don't you have a chat with the, the guys at the PGA Tour and, you know, and see if I can figure something out. So, you know, long story short, I, I had a few conversations with them and in the end we agreed that, you know, if I did a song for, for both teams, um, so there's kind of, you know, parity, you know, so fairness, um, then it was, you know, it'd be possible for me to go out there and, you know, and in the end, it turned out to be, you know, a much bigger thing than than I was predicting, you know, because at the time, you know, the idea was I'd just do a song for each team, you know, probably record them at home uh, and then head out there and, you know, enjoy some of the, you know, enjoy some of the golf. But it ended up with me, you know, doing doing the song on the Thursday about an hour before first tee you know doing doing the two songs there and you know in that big that big sort of stand they they had purpose built you know two and a half thousand people in there um so yeah that was that was crazy and then beyond that you know actually sitting down with some of the players uh on the Monday to well give them you know have a short interview with them about kind of maybe slightly different stuff to what they used to like talking about music and things and then getting them to sing little bits of the song <laughs> which the tour would then try and you know would then piece together into this kind of uh montage which i thought came out really well so so that was something else and then and then even beyond that on the on the tuesday night um 
I was asked to, to play the songs at this the VIP reception that they have there where all the players are there with their wives um, and a few kind of sponsors and, and things. Uh, so I did those songs there just before the players were kind of introduced um, by Dan Hicks. And that was that was unreal because that was quite a small place, really. Um, and they put this little grand piano out uh, up on, on the stage and uh, and there was only... I reckon a couple hundred people in this in this room, you know, mo- and you know, most of them were the were the players and their wives. And you know, coming off the stage when I'd done, you know, done the songs, you know, a few of the guys sort of fist bumping me and and, and stuff from the team. So it was that's incredible, you know. So that it was it was a crazy week. In, apart from on Twitter, have you performed in front of people like that before? I presume you have. The only time actually was, um, or at least in terms of the golf stuff, uh, is I went out for the PGA show, which is like a sort of trade show in um, in, in January in Orlando. Oh, and yeah. they wanted me to do a song to kind of, uh, well, you know, open the show basically. It's kind of, well, because they'd had a couple of years off with COVID and stuff. So they wanted to kind of make a big thing about welcoming people back. So uh, I did a sort of parody song for, for them uh, and I performed that song and then a handful of my kind of back catalogue as well. Um, but that was the only other time that I've done the golf stuff in a live setting. So, yeah, just I, I feel like we we breezed past it. You sort of said it as if it was a perfectly normal thing that a Masters champion just sort of slid into your DMs and asked you to, to write a song for his upcoming International President's Cup team. Like, how did that how did that feel when he, you just you sort of, I'm presuming it popped up on your phone like Trevor Immerman has sent you a message? Well, yeah, I mean, it's actually, you know, the slightly more to the story. So I was. I was contemplating, and this hasn't happened as yet, but I was, I was contemplating sort of starting up um, a kind of uh, like a, a video series type thing where I'd, I suppose a podcast, but it was more, I more wanted to make it kind of video based where I'd kind of get people on okay. and talk to them again about sort of music stuff and just a slightly different angle, I guess, on, um, you know, on, on sort of golf and, and their personalities. Um, so basically all the people who'd kind of been supportive of my songs uh, and followed me I thought well, I'm just going to shoot him a DM and see you know if I did this thing would you be up for coming on so Trevor was one of the people who I, I messaged and I said you know if I do this would you, would you be up for doing it and he replied and said yeah totally sure but you but you know uh, I need to ask something from you as well uh, and that was <laughs> that's where that's where it came about nice. what do you reckon Trev, what do you reckon Immelman, Immelman's into I reckon he's a heavy metal kind of guy it's weird actually you know what i haven't had that conversation with him yet which which you know i guess maybe because i i sort of hope that this you know i might might do this thing so i i sort of held off on on asking him about his musical taste but yeah that that hasn't happened yet i don't know it's an interesting one it's really it's one of those things i always do i remember because i mean i i grew up with grunge and heavy metal and the sort of the, the um well the pop punk scene i think they call it don't they the green days and the blink 182 so i always sort of try and imagine who likes the same kind of music that I like and I think Trevor Immelman might be a bit of a metalhead yeah he might be he might be I'd, yeah I, I, you know I, I really want to know that now I'm about to ask him Kiridek Kira Afabanrat definitely is a metalhead <laughs> yeah that guy is pure metal I feel like I feel like Rory Sabatini probably is as well. Oh, absolutely! Just all of us in this tiny dungeon of a room in a mosh pit. I can just see that happening <laughs> after a Presidents Cup. Brilliant. Yeah, so oh, it's just it's an unbelievable story. I mean, you talk there about a video series like that is for me. That's the most interesting thing is is and, and that's when you did that video in the team room with the international players. For me, that was the best bit about it was it was bringing out the personality of the players. And Adam Scott, who, you know, not only is one of the most handsome people on the planet, he's also incredibly confident and one of the best golfers to have ever walked to the earth. And and suddenly you've got him like pinned against the wall, like, oh, my God, you're going to make me sing. Like, were you, how like how nervous were you like asking these guys to, to sing, to do something, like completely take them out of their comfort zone? Yeah, that was that was definitely one of the most nerve wracking times of the week, because a I've never done sort of I've never interviewed people before uh B these are kind of you know kind of my golfing idols you know I've sort of looked up to and watched you know for for years and years you know so that combined with just generally you know (laughs) not I'm not like an overly confident person or anything so I was definitely feeling the nerves of that but you know actually I was pleasantly surprised by how uh, kind of engaging they were and and you know I didn't really get any you know, no one seemed reluctant to to get involved. Really, obviously, 
you know the you may have seen Justin Thomas refused to sing but he he did it in a he did it in a funny way it's sort of the way it's edited you know a couple of people messaged me and they said oh you know you know he didn't you know he, was, he obviously wasn't playing ball and I said well actually you know he was probably of all the people I interviewed we had the best chat and the best kind of rapport and back and forth and stuff but he just you know outright said look I'm not singing and it was actually quite <laughs> funny I thought in the yeah. end the way it was edited and he just said it <laughs> says the words so yeah has your relationship with like obviously I know Fina sent you some messages did you get to see him you obviously got to sit down with him like I'm I'm presuming yeah, he's your yeah. favorite player given that he was the the subject of your first song yeah absolutely yeah I mean he's you know, he really is the kind of the reason this whole thing took off so um so yeah I'm, I'm forever indebted to him um but yeah that was the first time I'd, I'd met him last week so it was kind of it was it was strange actually because you know I've told that these players were coming in at x time you know you know, Max Home was arriving at 10.30 or whatever. Uh, Tony Fiena just showed up in the room. He was just like, he just came in and he looked around and he's like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> it's weird because we weren't, you know, I, I, I didn't have that sort of preparation. Right? Okay, right, he's coming in a bit. What am I going to say? He was just there, you know, so. That's amazing. And what, I mean, you said, because obviously it's quite intimidating that on the first tee when you've got like the sort of gallery sort of boxed in isn't it and then you were there on your piano in the corner like how intimidating was that how nerve-wracking was that to do that yeah that was that was nerve-wracking but in a way it was kind of it was good that I'd done you know did the, the VIP reception the right. two days before because in a way I kind of find that in a way I find that more pressure because it was kind of quite you know the room went quiet you got all these players like standing right in front of me looking at me so that I found more nerve-wracking, I think, or sort of a higher pressure thing. And because I'd done that and I got through the performance, when it came to the, the first tee, I was still nervous, don't get me wrong, but I knew I could get through it. And you got all this sort of background hum, you know, everyone's excited, you know. So it's, yeah, it was a different a different kind of environment. And, but yeah, was, I was obviously pleased to get through it without any any hitches. So, yeah. I mean, as as talented and as skilled you are, I don't think I'd be able to get my uh, my fingers to move in that situation. So fair play. Let's um let's just move on to the actual golf now. This Tom Kim, absolute star in the making. I mean, he's, he's a new cult hero. I mean, nobody knew who he was a few months ago, and now he's and now he's everyone's second favorite golfer. <laughs> yeah, so true. You know what? I uh, I didn't really know much about him. I mean, obviously he won not that long ago on the you know on, on the tour, uh, and he's obviously a young guy. You know, so that was. That was very impressive in, in itself, and the fact that he started with a quadruple bogey on the, on the Thursday. Um, but I think even after that, he was still a bit of an unknown to a lot of people. You know, uh, people kind of obviously heard of him because he, he got that win. But then suddenly he turns up with all this, you know, charisma and personality, and and everyone falls in love with him, right? Because he's just, you know, and he's such a likable guy. You know, he's one of the guys that I got to interview as well earlier on in the week, and he's just, yeah, he's just. I spoke to his I spoke to his manager uh, earlier on in the week and he he basically said he's an absolute dream to manage because he's just everyone likes him. You know, he's just so likable. He's such an affable guy. He's he's obviously a tremendously talented golfer as well. So, yeah, he's we're going to we're going to see a lot from him, I think, over the next few years. And, yeah, he's he's already become a fan favorite, hasn't he? In, in just the space of a few weeks. It's crazy. And he's called. He's- George, just remind me, he's called Tom because he was obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine as a kid. Is that's that right? That's right, yeah. I think the, at school, the kids just gave him the nickname because he loved Thomas Tank Engine so much. and It's just stuck. But what a I name, think, right? I, mean, I think what we need is uh, Sam to do a song for Tom to the tune of the original Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune, which, is a, which is a bop, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bop. An absolute yeah. banger. Maybe you could get um, Ringo on drums. <laughs> George is like... Ringo. That would be oh, a nice. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but no, I mean, I'm curious about these songs. Like, is this is it something like? Because obviously you've got to get inspiration. Is it like something you just it just comes to your head, or is it so you go out your way to maybe okay, I want to do a song about this guy, or this incident's happened in the golf, or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or is it just something like oh, suddenly all these ideas come in, you get to your piano. And no, it's it normally that it's normally later. I you know I decide right, I want to do a song about this player or about this topic, and then I think okay, what song is going to fit? You know, okay. <clears throat> whether it's something as simple as just fitting their name into the chorus or whether it's just more, you know, what the kind of the style of song or the, the, the message. But yeah, it's always it starts with the player or the topic and then I find something that fits. Right. So there could and be a Tom Kim 
there could be a Tomkin song in the future then. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'd, it, I'd say it's, I'd say it's pretty likely at some point. Yeah, it definitely helps as well that you're obviously very funny and very witty. That like your lyrics are, are tremendous, and and every single time you post a video, someone will reply with a single line from the video and probably some laughing emojis alongside it. Like, <laughs> it must be a good feeling for you when when people on golf Twitter are just filling your uh, mentions with laughing emojis yeah no it really is you know and I kind of still get that kind of I still get a bit of a sort of adrenaline rush when I put a new one out you know there's this kind of like anticipation of like okay I don't know how it's going to be received but I've been amazed by how how well these ones how well these songs go down and 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 the way that people engage so positively with them which is a you know it's a it's it's a nice thing especially on someone like Twitter you know which gets a you know gets a rap for for being a bit of a cesspool so it's you know I've, I've seen a very positive side of it so i've considered myself very lucky there well that was going to be my next question like your your golf twitter ex- or your twitter experience should i say is is very different to a lot of people's yours is a very positive space and and that's well it's wonderful isn't it um just back to the golf and i, and I really didn't want to talk about live players if i'm honest with you but we probably have to i mean it was another drubbing for the u.s team we obviously had Brooks and um, DJ and Bryson are missing from the US team, but obviously the international team had some huge names. Cam Smith, in particular, recent Open champion, world number two, I think, uh, missing as well. How much did that hurt the international team? Because the US team obviously weren't affected at all by it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I I get the feeling that, yeah, you know, someone as strong as, uh, as Cam Smith, I mean, he's. He's a big loss. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But then again, you know, I think uh, Trevor. You know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, really uh, have a lot of respect for for Trevor and what he managed to do with with the team and with the players that he had, you know, that he had available, and he managed to really kind of rally them around and and they put up a really good fight. So yeah, I think it is. You know, it's definitely a, a loss when you have a player like you know like Smith or you know or Neiman, you know, who who you know can't be selected, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's hard to it's hard to say in retrospect whether or not that would have made you know a big enough difference that the internationals would have uh, you know would have would have ended up ended up actually you know winning the thing. Who knows? And I think with the emergence of the likes of Tom Kim and obviously Max Homer had a brilliant week as well. So everyone, I mean, like I said, I, I followed the tournament up until Sunday evening. I followed the tournament on on Twitter and and it seemed that everyone was talking about that rather than talking about oh the the live guys are missing which was again it's was, it was a positive thing and and i i mean i i think for me i think if the live guys had been allowed to play that probably would have been the headline story of the week and that would have taken away from what was actually a really fun tournament despite the fact it was another drubbing for the us it was a really fun tournament especially um those first couple of nights with with the likes of kim and homer just tearing it up yeah, I think that's a fair point. It, yeah, it, would, it definitely would have, would have detracted to some degree. And, and actually, you know what? I spoke to a few people, you know, who sort of who sort of made a fair point, really, that actually some of the kind of some of the maybe not not so team player type people or the ones that weren't there, at least on the on the US side, you know, the the, the sort of people who maybe you know you look at the team now and really it's there's a bunch of pretty pretty likable guys you'd have to say on on the US side whereas in the past you say okay there's a couple of you know there's a couple of characters in there yeah. who are maybe sort of you know don't quite blend so well with the with the rest of them so in a way it's kind of a you know positive thing i mean you know i'd say maybe less so on the on the international side um i don't know much about the you know the, the characters you know people like neiman or whatever but um but cam smith by all accounts is an extremely popular player and i'm sure he would have been missed in the in the team room on last week's pod i I wasn't there for last week's pod but but george was there and i know the conversation came up about um making the president's and obviously um uh paul mcginley mentioned it in the week didn't he about making the the president's cup a uh, a mixed event now obviously george has had his say from a pundit's perspective and mcginley has as well and you know everyone's doing it but what's your perspective from purely from a, a golf fan point of view well, I think, you know, maybe at the beginning of the week or at least after maybe the first couple of days play where you're thinking, OK, God, this is, you know, this is going one way and one way only. Um, maybe at that point, people were thinking thinking that. And I think probably by the end of the tournament, though, 
I think several people, and I probably include myself with this, actually thought, you know what, there's, there's nothing wrong with this format. You know, it's still really exciting four days, um, especially the last two with, you know, the internationals kind of, you know, putting up a really good fight. And there was so much great golf on display and, and, and really good matches. You know, you look at some of the matches towards the end, you know, JT against Siwoo Kim, those sort of ones. And, you know, by the end of it, you think, well, actually, that was great. You know, why do we need to change it? You know, maybe there's a case for adding a, an event where a, a mixed event i mean i i'm a, when i came came back at the end of this i thought this was this has been a great great tournament Ryder cup is obviously sensational but you know we've got to wait you know another year for you know for the Ryder cup why why not add a, an event in there another team event because these team event people love these team events right yeah so add in two team events you know uh, why we all love them. yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think i yeah i i completely agree with you there sam i think that for me, and I haven't had my say on this in anything really, but um, I think suggesting that they should change the President's Cup is probably disrespectful to the tournament itself. It's similar to all that chat down the years about people saying that the PGA Championship should be replaced by the players as a major. It's just completely disrespectful to a historic tournament, which is, you know, which delivers every single year. Uh, so I, I would be along the lines of, yeah, something America versus the rest of the world, Europe included in that, of course, and, and make it a mixed team event. I think that's a, a really good idea. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to let you go because obviously you're you're working and you're uh, you've been very generous with your time. But just before you do go, two questions. You can't say Tony Finau. What's your favourite song that you've done? And also, who's next? <laughs> so I think probably the favourite one I've done outside of Tony Finau. I'd say it's my Victor de Puisson one. Which is one of my sort of early ones, but yeah, just happy with how that one came out and, and people seem really to love that. Yeah. So. That was catchy, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I actually, and it, but I can't answer the second question because I don't know. So, whereas in the early days, I sort of had a list of players, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a song about this guy, this guy, this guy. I just don't know now because more so the songs that I've been, been doing have been more kind of uh, in reaction to story and golf, whether that's live yeah. or whether that's, you know, something. So less so now am I doing songs about specific golfers, um, but sometimes inspiration will strike me. You know, a player will win an event and, you know, do it in, you know, impressive fashion or something. I think, OK, I've got to do a song about this guy. So I'm, I'm much more kind of reactive now than I than I was in the early days. So I haven't actually got anything planned. It's just, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Just go through uh, who's got the most Twitter followers. Who can you tag in and get a retweet of? <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a bad way to do it. But yeah slightly cynical way of doing it but well yeah we, i mean that's that is how i would do it that probably says more about me than it says about you but uh <laughs> brilliant sam uh really appreciate you coming on that's really interested in um you're absolutely smashing it and like i said we're all huge fans of your work and but you already knew that otherwise we wouldn't have asked you to come on but um i'm glad you're i'm glad you're tearing it up and, and keep doing it because we every time honestly and I, I i think i speak for the entirety of golf twitter here when i say that whenever you say got a song incoming like we're all we're all tuning back into twitter later on like pretty excited about what it's going to be and who it's going to be about and um like i said some of those hilarious uh quips you managed to get in the lyrics it's all always entertaining so keep up the good work and uh again thanks for coming on uh thanks i, I appreciate it anytime cheers, mate. cheers.